I have been uh, preparing. Uh, the, Troy gave me the passage a couple weeks ago, and as I've been preparing for what I was going to say this morning, I just could not help thinking how much the table church is like the people and the churches in Galatia that this letter was written to. So uh, you all have been accompanying me in my preparations uh, all morning, and I'm very excited to be sharing with you now. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, it's because of you that we are here today. <clears throat> it's because of your name that we, by which we call ourselves. It's because of your word, because of your life, your death, and your resurrection that we are gathered in your presence here this morning. So we want to acknowledge you and thank you and just tell you that we love you. And thank you that when you went back to be with your Father in heaven, you sent your spirit to minister to us individually, to teach us what you want us to know day by day and hour by hour, including this hour. So, Lord, we look to you. We rely upon your spirit. We look forward to hearing what you have to say to us this morning, and we welcome you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, the Table Church is not very unlike the churches that um, Paul was writing the book of Galatians to. The Galatian people were actually a region. It wasn't a particular like um, race of people. It was an area in what would now be regarded as southern Turkey. It was the first place that Paul had gone as a missionary. And so there's some interesting stories about those churches that are not so different from the story of the Table Church in San Francisco. So I want you to take this letter to heart. I want you to take this message to heart this morning because the Lord wants you to hear what uh, Paul said to these churches. And before we actually address the passage that's in your bulletin this morning, I want to read you a story from Acts that is actually the background for the story that we're going to be talking about. Uh, so kind of settle back and just listen to this story. Um, Paul had been a believer. He, we talked some weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about how Paul became a believer in a very startling way. He was actually, um, he regarded the name of Jesus and the followers of Jesus as really bad news. And he had been sent out from Jerusalem to go stop the people who were following Jesus. And along the way, he was met on the road by a revelation of Jesus Christ from heaven. Jesus spoke to Paul and told him that he was resisting God by resisting the followers of Jesus. So Paul repented and became a follower of Jesus himself. Because he was a Pharisee, he already had a vast amount of information in his head and his heart regarding the word of God. So now he had a new task, which was to harmonize what he was learning about Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit with what he already knew from the Old Testament. So he spent some time doing that. First, he went off in the desert by himself for three years, and then he came back and was so excited about what he learned that he started preaching like a fanatic back in Damascus. And it got so crazy that he actually had to be sent away, he had to be sneaked out of town because there was a death, there was a bounty on his head. They wanted to stop him. And uh, so they sneaked him away and he went to Jerusalem where he started doing the same thing, preaching up a storm, telling people about Jesus. Now he was really in, in a challenging area because he had come back as a Pharisee to the Pharisees and was preaching Christ. So once again, they wanted to kill him 
to stop him. And so he was sent away again. This time he went home to Tarsus. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what his probable experience in Tarsus was because he went back to his family and he went back to his home synagogue and he came back as a believer in Jesus when they had sent him away to become a Pharisee and to be a proponent of the Old Testament and the law of Moses. So that's the story of Paul and that's his background. He had a rough time in Tarsus probably for 10 years where he had to deal with the fact that he was opposed by the people, the very people who had loved him and sent him out. While he's in Tarsus, maybe wondering what his future would ever be as a new believer in Jesus, along came his old friend Barnabas, who was a member of the church in Jerusalem, a Jewish man who had been uh, had heard about a Gentile church that had been founded up in Antioch. So Barnabas went up to help that church, and it was too much for him. He needed help. So he went in search of Paul. He remembered, oh, we sent that guy Paul to Tarsus. I wonder if he could be a help. Brought him back to Antioch, and uh, Paul stayed at that church with Barnabas for a year. And uh, during that time, the church grew like crazy because Paul was obviously a great teacher. Those people were hungry to know how to live as followers of Jesus, and Paul had become an expert on that. So they had a very fruitful ministry for about a year, and then um, the Holy Spirit spoke to the church in Antioch and said, I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas, and I'm going to send them out where I want them to go, and they will see what I want them to do. So Paul and Barnabas took off for a year, and they traveled up through the area of the Galatians, where the Galatian people lived, and uh, planted churches. They preached the gospel. Many people came to Christ, and most of those people were Gentiles. So now we need to do a little defining of terms. We know, probably we know that the Jewish people are people who were born into the Jewish race and the Jewish faith, which was based on the law of Moses. It was very easy to, do, to recognize Jewish people because they dressed differently, they practiced rituals that the Gentiles didn't practice, and they adhered to the law of Moses. But now Paul and Barnabas and even the whole church in Antioch was filling up with Gentiles. So let's define what a Gentile is. A Gentile is not a Jew. That means everybody else in the world. That includes us. It includes San Francisco. It includes the people who were not born Jewish and never participated in Jewish religious rituals and never adhered to the law of Moses. Didn't mean those people didn't want to know God because they did want to know God. And God had promised from the beginning of time that his gospel His good news was going to be for all people. So Paul and Barnabas travel around. They find all these people who are not Jews who want to be followers of Jesus, and they're very excited, and they help those people get established in the faith. So they come back from that first missionary journey back to the church that had sent them out, Antioch, which was really no place near Jerusalem. It was way up in northern, what would be northern Syria today. And they go back to the church that sent them, and they report on what had happened, and people are thrilled. So Paul and Barnabas stay there and continue to minister. And in uh, Acts 15, I'm going to start reading you a story of what happened next. While they were there in Antioch, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. 
saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the brothers very glad. Paul and Barnabas are traveling through Israel, and they're meeting the people in the churches who are Jewish but are also followers of Jesus, and they're saying, guess what? This is for the Gentiles, too, and the Jewish believers are very excited. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. The people in Jerusalem didn't know what had been going on on this mission journey among the Gentiles. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, those Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted those Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. And then he goes on to quote some prophecies from the Old Testament where God said he would, his gospel would go to the Gentiles. And so James says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them, and then he gives a few suggestions of how they should behave that were not necessarily natural to the Gentile people, including abstaining from sexual immorality and uh, being careful what they, what they eat because there were Jewish people around them watching them. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men in Jerusalem and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers, and with them they sent the following letter. And this is the letter that comes from the Jewish brothers in the church at Jerusalem, which was the primary church of of Jesus Christ at that time. This is the letter they wrote. Apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentiles, believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from among us without our authorization to disturb you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. 
It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who were among who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them back in Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they had they and many others taught and preached the word of our Lord. When I read this, I think of when Byrne and I first met Troy Wilson some years ago. And uh, Troy was at that time living in uh, Roseville, and he was a pastor on the staff at Valley Springs uh, Presbyterian Church. And he confided to us that ever since he had arrived at Valley Springs, he had been thinking about San Francisco. And uh, they had not been there very long when he started making day trips on his day off to come over to San Francisco to just hang out, get to know the city. Sometimes he would bring his children, they'd walk the streets, and he would pray for the people of San Francisco. Troy was like Paul. Troy wanted to go to a place where the gospel needed to be delivered, and uh, he was drawn with all of his heart. Then they made the move, and they started living in San Francisco, and uh, day after day, Troy and Caroline would go out into San Francisco and meet people and invite them to come to a startup, startup church called The Table. And now here today, here we are, very much like the people of Galatia. We have come in the name of Jesus Christ to gather together. So the passage that we're actually addressing this morning from Galatians chapter 2 is a summary of what I just read to you, which was the background. Paul says in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 of Galatians, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Bartimus, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear I was running or had run my race in vain. So Paul had been preaching the gospel. He wanted to go and talk with other apostles who also knew the gospel very well and make sure that the message he was preaching was right on. He was going in a response to a revelation. The Holy Spirit told him to go. And he was going to the people who appeared to be the ones he should talk to. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important... Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. But those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John 
those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, in this passage are a couple other words that I want to define. Because we say these words and sometimes we move quickly past them and we don't really know what we're talking about. So uh, Paul refers to the apostles. One of the things that is interesting in this passage is that uh, Paul doesn't put a lot of weight on these people. He refers to them as those who seem to be leaders, uh, those who seem to be important, those who were reputed to be pillars. Paul was testing them as much as he was allowing them to test him. He was carrying the pure gospel that had been transforming lives back to Jerusalem, and he was going to apostles who had walked with Jesus, been personally trained by Jesus, had received the good news of the gospel from Jesus, and he wanted them to hear what he had been preaching so that they could say, is, is this what Jesus would say? Is this what Jesus gave to you? And they listened and they were thrilled to hear what Paul was preaching because it was changing lives and it was the true gospel. So Paul, uh, when they were thrilled to hear that the preaching that he was doing was the truth, then he accepted them as being apostles. Now, what is an apostle? There are two terms that kind of characterize the followers of Jesus. One is apostle and another is disciple. Jesus had both. But the apostles were men... 12 men that Jesus handpicked to be closest to him throughout his three years of ministry in Galilee and in all Judea and even up north into some of the Gentile territories. These men walked with him, ate with him, slept on the ground next to him. They, um, they listened to his teachings all day long. They watched every move he made. They heard every conversation he had. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, one of the apostles who was closest to Jesus said, if we tried to write everything that we learned from Jesus in that time, there aren't enough books in the world to contain it. So these apostles were very special people that Jesus had drawn close to himself and had opened up their hearts and delivered to them the good news that he wanted to go into the world. The, the apostles were the ones upon whom Jesus founded the church, of which we are heirs today. We sit here as heirs to, to the church because of these people. There were 12 to begin with, one sinned, betrayed Jesus, and fell away, Judas Iscariot. And, uh, and yet this, the, the other remaining 11 apostles felt like the ranks were, were diminished by that. They felt that there was supposed to be a 12th apostle still among them. So shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, they held a meeting, and they uh, drew lots, and they appointed a man to become the 12th apostle. His name was Matthias. The only time you ever hear of him is that in Acts chapter 1 where they say to him, Matthias, you must be the 12th man. You never hear from him again because he was not Jesus' choice. People, cannot, people could not name apostles. Only Jesus could name an apostle. It's not until nine or ten chapters later in Acts that Jesus makes his choice when he speaks to him from heaven to Paul and says, Paul, you are the one I'm appointing to carry the gospel 
and then Paul later learns it's to the Gentiles. So the apostles were people who were specifically appointed by Jesus. They were very rare. They had a particular calling. But Jesus also had hundreds, thousands of disciples. And those disciples were not just Jewish men. Jesus was notorious for who he, as a rabbi, invited to be his disciples. First of all, the first guys he picked were uneducated, working-class people who had not been in Jerusalem and been educated, but they were men of sincere heart who wanted to follow him. So that was the first class. Then he added women. Jesus welcomed women to be among his disciples and to follow him and to walk with him. In fact, at one place we see that it was um, some wealthy women who out of their own pockets were helping to pay his expenses during his ministry. Jesus welcomed children, which was unheard of for a rabbi to pay attention to a child. Jesus said, let those children come to me because they are what the kingdom is made of. Jesus welcomed outcast people. He was willing to have conversations with anybody, including people who were Gentiles and people who seemed crazy. There was a woman up in Tyre and Sidon, a Phoenician woman, total Gentile, crying out to him to heal her daughter. And even his disciples said, send her away. She's just irritating us. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to have a conversation with her. And he welcomed her as a follower, a, a woman, a Gentile. And he also loved and welcomed people with special needs which is really significant. Jesus welcomed people who couldn't walk, people who couldn't see, people who had epileptic seizures, people who were basically non-functioning in society. Their needs were so great, they had to depend on other people to carry them places and to provide for them. Jesus made those people his disciples, and often he healed them. So Jesus had a band of disciples that went far beyond the apostles and looked just like San Francisco. <laughs> it was a play, you know, it was people from all ethnicities, people from all strata of society. Um, Jesus just welcomed people. And so that's another thing that we inherit at the Table Church is that the gospel is for all disciples. So given all of that, I think there's one more term that we need to define today. And that term is gospel. I keep talking about the gospel. And it's time for us to talk about what that means. Um, Jesus initiated the gospel in, um, in John 10, verse 18. It says... Um, okay, so Jesus, first of all, when he came, he said, I've, I've come to introduce the kingdom of God, and you must repent of your sins and be saved to enter the kingdom of God. And the way that was going to happen was that he was going to do something for the world that would make it possible for their sins to be forgiven, for them to be acceptable to God. And Jesus did this of his own free will, of his own volition. In John 10, 17 and 18, it says, he says, this is Jesus talking, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. If you read the account of Jesus going to the cross, 
There are so many points in that account from the time he was arrested to the time he died where he could have interrupted that process. But he never did. He never spoke up and said, it's wrong for you to kill me. I'm an innocent man. He didn't do anything to defend himself. He went through the entire excruciating process of being prepared to die on the cross. And he went to that cross literally so determined to get there that even when he fell, he got up and walked again till he got that, to that place of death because he was offering himself of his own free will as a sacrifice for sin. The best way to understand that sacrifice for sin is to look at what God had the people do in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament days, when God gave them the law and explained to them what sin was, and they began to realize they were sinners, and that this separated them from God, because sin separates people from people and people from God, um, God said, here's what you must do. You must go and bring to me a perfect little animal, a lamb or a ram, that you have raised and kept free from disease and not allowed to be injured, an animal that you have coddled and cared for. Bring that to the tabernacle where I dwell, and then I want you to stand with that animal and put your hands on its head. When you've done that, confess your sins. Transfer your sins to this innocent animal, and then I want you to let its blood be shed by cutting its throat yourself. The man who, the person who brought the sacrifice, put his sins on that animal, and then took the life of that animal himself, making it a sacrifice. Now we go to Jesus, who is identified immediately as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist, and we see him coming as the sacrifice, offering himself. Nobody else really participated in that. There were a lot of people who didn't want it. There were people who were happy to see him killed who were not repenting of their sins. But Jesus knew what was required to, to uh, atone for the sins of the world, so he brought himself to the cross, and he allowed himself to be killed. And then he rose on the third day, because while sin kills... Holiness gives life, and Jesus was holy, and his life was restored to him, making it possible for us now as sinners to approach him as the innocent Lamb of God, put our hands on his head, and say, I accept your sacrifice as the atonement for my sins. And in doing that, God approves what we've done, and he accepts us as forgiven sinners. And then he imparts to us not just the death of Jesus for our sins, but the life of Jesus that goes on for eternity, and we receive eternal life. So that's what the gospel is. Good news. We're not stuck in our sins. We don't have to be miserable and broken every day in our lives, wondering whether we have a future, wondering whether we are acceptable to the holy God, wondering what our eternal destination is. Jesus has done everything for us. And in the simple act of reaching out to him, we can be saved. I'm just going to read one more passage to you. This is from Romans, and it tells us how to receive this gift of the good news from Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10 of Romans chapter 10 say, hold on a second, let me find it here. (laughs) 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So we're going to enter into just a time of prayer right now. If you have already put your faith in Jesus Christ and accepted his atonement for your sins, use this time to thank him with all your heart because you have a glorious future, not only on earth, in the presence of God on earth, but in eternity. And if you have never taken the moment to consider Christ and to put your faith in him, this is a great opportunity to do that. So I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and we'll have a couple moments of quiet, and then uh, Byrne will come and lead us in communion. Lord Jesus, Savior of all, Lamb of God, atonement for all the sins of all the people who ever lived, our willing sacrifice, our good news of salvation, our hope of eternal life. We honor you in this moment. We acknowledge there is no one like you. No one has ever done what you did. We give you praise, Lord Jesus, for who you are. We join the angels and the saints of all the ages in thanking you for our salvation. And Lord, uh, if anyone is here who has not yet received this great gift from you. In this moment, I pray for them. I ask you to give them words. Paul said, if we confess with our mouth that you are Lord and accept what you did for us, we belong to you forever. And the eternal life that the Father restored to you is ours as well. So we give you thanks, Lord, for being with us here today and ask you to meet us in this moment. Have your way with our hearts, Lord. Accomplish your perfect purpose in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.